Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Hey there, 10-Minute Traders, and welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest back on the line, Ragi Horner. She is the Managing Director of Futures Trading at Simpler Trading. Ragi, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Ewell. It is a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me back, my friend. Oh, no, I, I am extremely, extremely thrilled to have you back on. Um, in fact, would you do me a favor real quick and uh, you know, kind of introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are. And uh, Ruggie's been on the program before, but in case anyone hasn't had a chance to, uh, to check you out the first time. Oh, sure. So uh, without boring anybody, it's basically I've been trading in the markets for about over 30 years now. There's no market that I don't like to trade as long as there's liquidity. I don't care if it's Forex, futures, stocks, options. I did crypto for a little while. If there's a price chart and there's liquidity, uh, you can bet that I'm gonna be trading it. And that's been the, the bulk of my career. Gotcha. Well, cool, I, I'm excited to have you on. I think this is gonna be great. So Ragi really tempted me. She told me that she's got some excellent stuff about the yield curve that she wanted to talk about today. So, uh, Ragi, the floor is yours. I, I, I and the audience are both interested to hear what's on your mind. Oh, fantastic. So there was so much made of the yield curve inversion, and there's so much being made as to whether or not these inversions are real, because we've seen such overactivity from central banks around the globe. So let's put that aside and talk a little bit about history of the yield curve and really what does it mean? And I don't mean that there's just now egg timer running on the, the inevitability of a, of a recession. You know, two quarters of, of negative GDP, look, whenever that's gonna happen, and everybody knows by the time we start talking about a recession, it's such a lagging indicator that we're usually coming out of it. So that aside, uh, what happened when that uh, three month inverted with the, uh, the 10 year? Traders that are thinking, oh my gosh, here comes our algorithms telling us that recession's right around the corner. But how far is that corner? It's actually a lagging indicator generally of 15 to 22 months. Mm -hmm. So from a timing perspective, I think we've all heard it's a horrible, horrible indicator for when it's going to happen, just with a possibility that it might. And this is where it really gets interesting. The actual, you know, the way you hear financial media talk about it, you think it's an, it's just absolutely destined to happen. But the truth of the matter is we've had many inverted yield curves that did not actually lead to a recession. There's been a couple of a couple of them. Um, if you take a look at the April 2000 inversion, it took almost a year for the recession to hit. But then we had an inversion two years before that in uh, September, I believe, of 1998. And that inversion did not actually uh, predict, a, predict a, uh, a recession. So there are a lot of false positives, if you will, with these, with these yield curves. And if you think about the, uh, the 1990 recession, that was almost, uh, let's see, 14 or 15 months before the recession. So again, it's really all over the place. So here's, here's what everyone's tu tuning in for, right? I've had a big buildup here. 
it's not enough for the yield curve to invert. If you want to pretty much give yourself a 100% signal for when a meaningful yield inversion happens, it's going to be that yield inversion has to be a quarter point. Then it's going to sometimes go back to unchanged, like we've seen, right? It will start to flex around a little bit. It will re-steepen to another 25 basis points to, to 50 basis points, another quarter to half point. And when you have that kind of pattern in a yield curve inversion, then you have nearly a 100% no false positives on that signal. Okay. And that you're, you're talking about these, these inversion points of 25 basis points going back to flat, then another 25 to 50 basis points inversion again. Is that still the, the three months to the 10 year that you were discussing earlier? Or is that two different points? Uh, you can actually do three month to 10 year, but you'll actually see this works across a lot of, you know, shorter end of the yield curves with lo longer. I mean, some people look at a, a two and 10, some people look at a three. Mm -hmm. And isn't that funny how every time there's an inverted yield curve, it's almost like any two will do. Do you see how, you know, when you look at financial media, it's almost like any two will do as long as they can run with that, uh -huh. that, uh, that fear monger uh, headline, that fear monger narrative. But it, it works with pretty much all of them. Uh, what I was talking about was mostly the uh, the three and ten though. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I have been following that in the past. Uh, I, my my day job is is uh, in risk analysis, and that it, that's something we talk about a lot there, and that has a lot to do with the the two and ten inversion. Mm -hmm. uh, but I I have not paid much attention to the three month to ten year inversion. But to me that. You're taking something so short as a three-month yield and so long as a 10-year yield. And with that inversion, that flex point there, that twist in the curve, that actually is uh, a little bit more meaningful to me than something a little further out, like a two-year to a 10-year. Mm -hmm. a, a so, yeah, I, I think that personally – now, granted, you sound like you know a lot more than I do on this topic. Uh, but I think personally the, the three-month to 10-year inversion is a lot more meaningful – than a, a two-year to 10-year inversion. So where are we at today on this this inversion? Are, have we hit the 25 basis points yet? We haven't. No, we haven't. No, so okay. we're, still, we're still kind of flirting with that little... It's almost like watching two moving averages cross, right? Mm -hmm. It's never like a clean cross. It's so seldom a clean cross and it just accelerates, right? They tend to weave for a little while. And I think we're kind of in that weaving right now, which is why there's there tends to be false positives, right, on this signal. Gotcha. So... With that being said, uh, I know a lot of people who would trade maybe the tut spread uh, or something of that nature where they're trading two different points on the yield curve. Is this something that, that Raggy's looking at, maybe a, a reversion to the mean or a continuation in these? You know, I can't say that I do that a lot. I, I think basically, you know, if I'm looking at I'm really looking at the psychology of it, quite frankly. I, I'm not looking at that yield curve every day. I'm actually looking more at things like. Uh, real yields, right? I'm looking more at things like that day to day to determine if I want to be long or short gold. I think the value of this headline, this fundamental of the, the recession warning of the yield curve inversion is really more a manifestation of what happens in financial media, where once it gets talked about a lot, it's going to then start to become relevant. And until it's being talked about, most folks don't even know to look, right? Mm -hmm. folks, like, right. folks like you and me kind of operate in a different bubble uh, as opposed to, say, Main Street. And so until Main Street knows to freak out, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that it's almost like it's almost like that old saying, you know, when a tree falls in a forest and no one is there, does it make a sound? You mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like that. Like a lot of these really 
nuanced things happen, but until they become uh, available and, and broadcasted, it's almost like it doesn't have an impact sometimes. Right. Okay. So you mentioned something in, in there and you were talking about real yields. What do you mean by real yields? Sure. So um, if you go, and a lot of folks can do this, it's pretty simple to go track this with the Department of Treasury. But if you go take a look at real yields, and I'll look at a real yield curve, especially if I'm trading gold. So all I'm looking at is something that the Federal Reserve Bank of New York will keep an eye on, but you could do it yourself too. And all I'm looking at is uh, really what is the current nominal uh, you know, yield for bonds minus inflation. That's it. So some people might call it different names. I've just called it real yield, but I think that's probably the the, the correct terminology. But yeah, that's all I'm looking for. Um, what is the what is the um, nominal yield, and then minus inflation. Okay. Now, why would you care about that when it comes to gold? So what I've found over the years, over the decades, is typically when my gold trades and when I want to hold a high conviction in gold, when I go to the Federal Reserve, just to look at that table, I'm not even telling anybody that they have to go do the calculation themselves. You know, I don't want anyone having to play, you know, economist when they're when they're trading or investing. All this information is typically done for us. I use the Fred data a lot from St. Louis Fed and things like that. So um, what I've noticed is typically you'll see these these real yields fall, and it tends to really be, even if gold doesn't have a lot of great technical structure, gold does find a way to keep heading higher. And I've just found that again and again. So what I'll look for is the dropping real yield, and then I'll go to tr go try to find some good technical structure in gold with a bullish bias. It helps me with bias. Hmm. Okay. Now, gold, uh, just a couple of days ago, had a big down move. Um, mm -hmm. With that being said, is that now a, a dip buying opportunity in your eyes, or, or do you feel that gold is is going to be uh, slowing down. It, it was and it is. Uh, not only was that move that we had on that June contract down to that, uh, what was it, 1293 and change low, uh, that was a buying opportunity, but it was actually a an oversold buy. Gold broke its trend back in the, on the 1st of March, I believe it was. And we've been chopping really ever since. So what I'm looking for are moves down to the area between 1293 and 1287 on the June contract on the current front month. And, and that's really a rinse and repeat of the trade that I put on back on the 5th of March. So I'm just really hmm. putting on that same trade again. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't know if you remember uh, me describing my gold trade from last year to you at the last time mm -hmm. I spoke. I do, but I do. Yeah, I uh, I saw gold uh, fall apart a couple of days ago and I was like, oh, what does this mean? <laughs> is gold finally <laughs> going to be doing it again? What's going on here? Leading into the summer again. How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. We give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I think the smartest thing you could do is open a new brokerage account with Tastyworks. Tastyworks is a brokerage platform that I use and I recommend. The commission structure is absolutely unbeatable at $1 per leg total. Now, if you sign up for a free Tastyworks account using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, I'll give you $150 in free 10-Minute Trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com just for opening a free account at Tastyworks. Remember to use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, when signing up for your new Tastyworks account today.
How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I think the smartest thing you could do is open a new brokerage account with Tastyworks. Tastyworks is a brokerage platform that I use and I recommend. The commission structure is absolutely unbeatable at $1 per leg total. Now, if you sign up for a free Tastyworks account using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, I'll give you $150 in free 10-Minute Trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com just for opening a free account at Tastyworks. Remember to use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, when signing up for your new Tastyworks account today. But, okay, very cool, very cool. Yeah, I mean, we got a whole different set of circumstances this time around than we did last year with uh, the yield curve. We've got Brexit. We've got um, Trump doing his thing. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, so so what do you see out there, Raggy, as like the biggest, uh, I guess you could say the biggest uh, factor that you're keeping an eye on uh, other than the yield curve? I'll tell you what, I think with everything that you just said about last year, it's so true. But the one thing that I think eclipsed all of them and really is the biggest, most important story is the share buybacks. The the Mm. amount of share buybacks, when you step back and look at the totality of it, was somewhere in the vicinity of $800 billion, you know, cumulatively from the different things that we saw, whether it was the rate cuts, uh, you know, tax rate cuts and so forth. So when we look at what powered the market higher, and it's a it's a phenomenon that's unique to the U.S. Those share buybacks, I think, are a big part of that, and I think we, we've seen just a historical amount of that back in 2018. And to me, that was the story. Everything else was almost like window dressing, and when you have these companies buying back shares at the rate that they that they were, you know, my problem with that is you're buying shares back. You're not investing in new technology. You're not investing in employee training. You're not investing in manufacturing. You're just buying back shares. And I think we're finally seeing, and we can call them on that uh, that BS, um, and I call EPS, EBS right now. Uh, um, I like it. The, and, and the reason for that is we see, a comp- we see company after company either miss or, or maybe maybe come in line with revenue on their earnings, but they, they guide lower. But oh my gosh, those EPS numbers are great. So when you see that kind of that kind of, you know, beat on EPS but but miss or even flat on rev and we're guiding lower, something's wrong. That's very fishy to me. And when you think about what the share buybacks did, it's fourth rate arithmetic, isn't it? They've been buying back shares. Of course those EPS numbers are going to look inflated because they are. Mm-hmm. So do you see that this would maybe be a, a potential bearish uh, catalyst? Is that is that where you're going here? Oh, gosh. You know, I'll tell you what. We were starting to turn down uh, back in early January. We, you know, we, uh-huh. we all remember that October sell-off. It led to mm-hmm. November sell-off. The market faded the G20 news. The market faded all the U.S.-China hyperbole back in October, November, December. The market faded the seasonal expectation of the the rally post the midterms, all those things, the market faded again and again. And finally, Jerome Powell realized he's supposed to hit the magic patience button, uttered that word in a casual setting on a Friday with Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke, and not at a Fed meeting, not in the statement, you know, not in the minutes, but in a casual setting, you know, I guess, pump, you know, pumped out on Bloomberg television or whatever it was. I mean, and, and he changed the narrative in that one informal setting. So I think 
his 16-day 180, which I've never seen in, the, in all 30 <laughs> years. I mean, it took him 16 days to go, oh, right, I, I'm, I didn't get the memo. It's unheard of. It's so unorthodox. But that's why the markets are up. I mean, people can talk all they want about any other reason. But the bottom line is Jerome Powell came in, said, I'm not going to hike anymore. And now we're hearing talk of, you know, we need a 50 basis point cut. I just watched Larry Kudlow all over television today telling everybody that we need a 50 basis point cut. And yet, isn't this the same gentleman who's been telling everybody the economy is okay? So my question is, which is it? Right. And so I, I think that the markets are going to continue to rally because it's just a FOMO market. It's FOMO MOMO, as I call it, a fear of missing out momentum. And, and even money managers are starting to get a lot of heat. Like, why aren't you long? The market's bottom is put in. And, and I just have a very tough time believing that Jerome Powell can somehow, uh, you know, cut his way out of what is a macroeconomic cycle that continues to show. And we just we just had another lower GDP print on Thursday. I mean, I, I, if you can hear it in my voice, it's, it's insane. It's, it's just absolute insanity right now. No, this is great. This is this, this is great content, Raggy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's great. Now, now. How does this, and of course, I, I love to, to play devil's advocate and get, uh, you know, lots more viewpoints than just my own and really help the audience with this, right? How does what you're describing with Powell come circle back to the yield curve? How, how, how is that impacting the yield curve? Well, when we have these conversations about the yield curve, I, I will have to say, and, it, and it's not to insult anybody, but I think people probably know this to be true. Bond traders are a lot savvier than your average equities trader. Right. You're, you're not you're not going to be in the bond market, you know, unless you understand macro and, and some things on a very deep level. Right. So that's number one. Bond traders know what's coming. Bond traders know that one way or the other, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve will be cutting rates later this year, maybe sometime next year. And they sure as heck aren't going to be raising them. So that's number one. And, and I think bonds are already playing that. You can see that even before Jerome Powell hiked rates in December, Yields were dropping. And so a lot of folks are very confused by that. But we have to remember that bonds will look ahead one, two, three quarters. So they were already discounting lower yields um, even as early as October, November of last year. So that is something that I think is really uh, blowing a lot of traders' minds right now because bonds are heading higher while the equities markets are heading higher. That's an old and useless right now correlation because they're two different narratives. On one hand, you've got to be long equities because Jerome, right now, if you're a trader, you've got to play the long side because that's what Jerome Powell wants. And as they say, don't fight the Fed. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I think it would be equally ridiculous to fade bonds. I am absolutely short yields across, across the yield curve. And so that's where I think it's a very unusual situation. We haven't seen this, by the way, since Europe went into negative interest rate policy, where bonds were up, dollar was up, gold was up, and the equity markets were up, and completely messed up correlations across the board, these historical correlations. We're right back in an environment like that. Yeah, okay. All right, so so what's Raggy looking at right now then? I mean, last time we talked, you were talking to me about uh, one of the things you were talking about was going long utilities. And I'll be honest, I followed you on that, and utilities have exploded over the last several months. Um, so you you definitely nailed that one. Uh, what what are you looking at now? I, I, this may or may not be related to 
what we were just discussing here. But what what's what's on Rocky's watch list? Well, really more of the same. I think what has happened, and I'm great that Ute Trade worked. And the reason that utility trade worked is it's a bond proxy. So it's like being long TLT and being long XLU. I mean, that's it's really a bond proxy trade. So I still like that trade very, very much. As long as bonds are heading higher, I will continue to buy pullbacks on the XLU. The, the thing that's on my radar now a little bit more, and it's probably changed more since we spoke last, is the fact that we have a reflation trade back on. And a reflation trade is going to benefit uh, a market that I've been in since uh, October, which is looking at REITs, uh, symbols like the VNQ. And it's actually going to start to benefit crude oil and crude oil and oil stocks. So we have a seasonal right now, the February to about May seasonal, which is that summer driving season ramp up that we see. So that starts actually in mid-February. So even though I think mainstream media is going to discuss it probably May-June, it's already peaked by then. The move has been made. So we're in the we're in that full upswing in uh, our Bob gas and in crude oil for that summer seasonal. And it's syncing up really nicely with the underlying trend. We're going into the OPEC meeting uh, in April. So I'm, I'm quite bullish oil stocks, not oil services, more like XLE, Chevron, uh, Exxon, Phillips 66, uh, OKE, those kinds of names and uh, very bullish on crude itself. So. That's the one thing that's probably changed the most, that the reflation trade is back on. And I think that uh, energies, namely crude oil and, and Arbob gas, are going to benefit from that. Okay. Uh, interesting take there. Now, I do have to ask you a question based on what you said there. Mm -hmm. So why, why oil, but not oil services like OIH? You know, it's interesting. So if I look at the XLE, which is that Spider Select, and I've got to say, you know, my my five favorite from that, by the way, again, Exxon, Chevron, Philip 66, uh, KMI, Kinder Morgan, and uh, OKE. Those are sort of the relative performance leaders within the XLE because the, the ETF itself looks kind of bullish, but sort of lethargic. Mm -hmm. the, reason, the reason not oil services, which would mean why am I not bullish Halliburton? Why am I not bullish Schlumberger. The reason for that is because if it's really, if you take a look at rig counts right now, despite really a number of weeks in a row now where API numbers and EIA numbers continue to reflect drawdowns or the demand in crude, you know, why are we not seeing higher rig counts? We've, we're actually at, I believe, a multi-month uh, low in rig counts. And I think the reason for this is, and we're not seeing CapEx spending either, which is very interesting. When you look at oil services names and you look at how oil companies are bracing for the longer term picture, they're not that optimistic. They're concerned about the global economic slowdown. They know the data in the U.S. has been contracting in inflation since last summer and that GDP continues to tick down. I mean, they know, they know this. They don't live on that you know, alternate universe that the Federal Reserve continues to look at. So I think it's really um, a short term, near term play long in oil stocks and crude oil, but longer term, I think the picture gets a little wobbly. And I think you know, you can see that these companies are thinking, yeah, we don't want to be out on that limb when reality finally sinks into the U.S. economy. Hmm. Okay, so why, why do you see less oil services when higher oil prices? So if I'm Slumberger and Halliburton, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and, and look, I, I I'm I'm open to the other side of the argument. I think that makes for a better argument. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just curious. I, no, I'd love no, to know. I, I'm sitting here th- like that's the question running through my mind. Oh, I, I would I, correlate I the asked, two together. Exactly. I ask myself the same question. So I'm Halliburton, and I'm the CEO, and I'm the CFO, and we sit down. We say, look. We know what the global economy is doing. And yeah, right now we have a reflation trade and yeah, we see some near term demand and sure, maybe Venezuela and, and the sanctions there. Maybe those Iran sanctions are becoming an issue. We know there's a bottleneck within the U.S. because our pipeline infrastructure hasn't caught up. And sure, we're producing like crazy from the Permian Basin, but we can't move this stuff out. And who, who's going to want it at the rate that we're producing it? Because, you know, we already see China injecting some 5% of their GDP into the banks. There's some big problems over there, right? They got a little tarp action going on of their own. When you're pushing that much capital into banks, you've got a problem. So, you know, these, these CEOs, these CFOs, they know this. So if I'm Halliburton, if I'm Schlumberger, I imagine sitting in there, in their chair saying, do I really want to increase spending? Do I really want to start to expand into what I think is going to be a global contraction of growth? I mean, we already are contracting in growth in the U.S., even though the Federal Reserve doesn't want to admit it because they're too busy looking at levels and not ready to change. And I think that's why, you know, we have very little CapEx spending, quite frankly, in the uh, on the XLE names as well. I think maybe only Exxon might be increasing CapEx spending. So we don't see a lot of CapEx spending across the board. It's really pretty, it's pretty low across the board, period. Okay. Wow, Rocky, you've you've really covered a lot of stuff here today. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to. I, you know, look, at the end of the day, I want all this stuff to be actionable. So really, if, if, trader, if traders and investors are out there saying, okay, that's, that's great, and maybe I follow a little bit of it, it sounds fascinating, I'll, I'll say the same thing. Near term, you know, Think about bonds, TLT. Think about staying long bond proxies like the XLU. And in the near term, as long as the trend is intact, stay long crude. You know, don't bet against crude going into an OPEC meeting. Uh, don't bet against some of these stronger oil, oil, stock, oil stocks going into that OPEC meeting. I'm not saying hold through the remainder of the year, but I think at least for the first half of the year, that reflation trade is going to continue to work. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Okay, Raggy. Uh, let me ask you a question here, real quick. So, if if myself or the audience wanted to learn more about what you're talking about here, uh, or or really just dive into maybe this this world a little bit, where do you get your information from? Where do you get your your insights from so that they could follow follow along? Is it from the Wall Street Journal? Is it from CNBC? Where where do, where does Raggy go to be so well informed? You know, I'll tell you what, it's the same thing that I've been doing for about 30 years. I go take a look at the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics to pull up CPI data. I go take a look at the PCE and look at a rate of change on the PCE. I go to the Fred site to look at the St. Louis Fed, what they call the Fred data. And mm-hmm. I pull this data up and, and I just I just do the work and I crunch the numbers. So, uh, you know, I know that there's one message that's going to be out there, but I want to make sure I know what's going on you know, under the surface macroeconomically, again, from a rate of change perspective. And then that's not enough, right? That's that's one thing. But then I want to go look at the charts. What are the charts doing? So if I can get the macro and the market trends to merge, like we have right now in crude, like we have right now in bonds, when I can have the market trends and the macro merge, and they're both hanging in the same direction, then I know I've got magic. And then I know I've really got to set up in a trade. Gotcha. Wow, this has been really great, Raggy. I have learned a ton. I made a ton of notes on here. 
Um, and I, I hope the audience as well uh, could appreciate everything that Roggy's talking about here. She uh, she really knows her stuff. So, Roggy, if uh, if anyone out in the the audience wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you or Simpler Trading, uh, where could they do so? Well, I mean, I hang my hat over at Simpler Trading. I run the future side. We talk about this kind of stuff every day. Uh, we have a lot of free content, too. So one of the things that your listeners could do is just sign up for our free newsletter. And I and I cut a video uh, one, once, a, once a day, Monday through Friday. It's about five to six minutes long. Doesn't cost a darn thing. And they can listen in on these conversations, you know, five times a week. And they'll know what I'm looking at. And uh, I share a lot of the uh, my watch list. You know, I don't get into a lot of the setups. But I, I will get into my watch list and some of the techniques and things that I've got on the radar. So I think it would be a good way to possibly, you know, pick up in the conversation and keep it going. Well, I, I tell you what, I will be your next subscriber because I would love to hear this on a daily basis. Because, you know, people out there don't they they hear what is given to them. But it sounds like you go 18 steps beyond that and go find out for yourself what's really going on. And I would definitely encourage everyone out there to go subscribe to to Rogi's newsletter there so that you can be as informed as she is. Um, and, you know, especially if it's for free like that. I mean, she's given you vast amounts of knowledge and experience and and tradable actions here. So, Rogi, thank you so much. This is uh, this has been extremely, extremely informative and useful. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for the great questions. I mean, you can't play tennis by yourself. So great stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate it. No, no, no. Thank you. And and, and really, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I'd, I'd love to do it again, especially, um, you know, being able to, to follow up back from our, our first episode to now. And then as, as things progress, I would love to get you on and have more of this perspective going forward. You don't have to twist my arm, my friend. You got it. <laughs> Well, Raggy, thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Hey, if you found this useful at all, please make sure you like and subscribe and enable notifications so you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter that we upload every single week. And thank you so much for tuning in to today's uh, podcast. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know you're a listener, but are you a watcher? Make sure you head on over to YouTube, type in 10 Minutes Stock Trader, and subscribe to the 10MinuteStockTrader.com YouTube channel. Every week, I upload all the podcasts as full videos, and that way you're getting the full 10-minute trading experience. That way you can have all the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you're listening to, and leave me a five-star review if you don't mind. That would be fantastic. And whenever you're done with that, head on over to 10minutestocktrader.com and download the one-minute options trading quick start guide. It'll give you all the tools, tips, and tricks that I use in my own portfolio, and it never gets outdated, and it will apply to every single options trade out there, so I think it'll be pretty useful for you. And while you're there, check out the free portfolio page. That'll show you everything that I've traded over the last year in full transparency. And since you're on the website already, check out the free trading course. In this free trading course, I give you every single thing that I know and use in my own portfolio, and I definitely think it'll help you out too. And then after you're done there, head on over to tastyworks.com and sign up using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, and I'll send you over $150 in free 10-Minute Trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. And most of all, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have connected today and that you've chosen to put me inside your earbuds. That means the absolute world to me. And thank you so much for stopping by.
10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimMinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.